to the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, here we go. Welcome to episode 100. We made it to 100 episodes of the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene, .tv network, and the Overtime Media crew. Joining me today to discuss all things Blue Jays. Blue Jays baseball is, you know, somewhat back. Mr. Ian Hunter. Ian, what's up, man? Hey, thank you for having me on. It's an honor to be part of the Century Club. <laughs> have you heard of the Century Club? I have Do you not know what heard... the Century Club is? No, no, lay it on me. It was something uh, I discovered it in college. It's I, I attempted it, never did it. It's a, you take a shot of beer every minute for a hundred minutes. Oh my God. And it sounds, it's like, oh yeah, that would, I can do that. But no, it's, it's way harder than it sounds. All right. Well, I'll just do a can for now. There you I'll, go. I'll just keep, we'll keep it like, you know, not too belligerent here, but, uh, nice. Yeah, man. It's, it's good to have a hundred episodes down, you know, it's sort of like the milestone that you want to hit. And after that, it's sort of downhill from there because at, you know, 200 sounds cool. And like, I guess 500 is great, but that's like way down the line. But it, it's like you hit the reset button because if you do like 132, that's just way too many syllables, you know? Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's a very big milestone. Thanks, man. Thanks. It's, you know, I've been trying to hit milestones like personal life too, sort of like, I don't know how you are with uh, the holidays, but usually... Like from the months of March all the way to November, I sort of like to eat pretty clean and then like the holidays kick in. So then I just like destroy my body. And now heading towards the end of February, I'm just sort of like, I need to, to rebound and get into the March mode because, you know, with, with baseball spring training starting, I don't know about you, but I can like sort of feel spring in the air, even though the weather isn't you know alluding to that at all. But I, it's sensory. I'm just like uh, springs. It's it's around the corner. Yeah, the fact that we're seeing all these you know photos and videos from spring training in Dunedin, it's like well, at least some people are, are enjoying the weather. So we're kind of living vicariously through them. So it's it's like a month or so, but it feels a lot sooner than that. Yeah, it's weird. It's in like two weeks or two and a half weeks somewhere around there. Daylight savings time. It's just, yeah. I'm not prepared for that at all. Just, I don't know. Tomorrow is a month until opening day. Oh my God. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We're almost there. We're almost there. Yeah. Oh man. See, it comes up so quickly, you know, like it, right after New Year's day, it's like nothing matters until like when spring happens. Like I've always said that snow after December 26 is just absolutely pointless. And especially this year, the off season was incredibly slow. So it made things feel even longer, but now it's spring training. Baseball games are happening. Players are signing. Most of them have signed. It's, it's coming finally. Yeah. We're waiting on Bryce Harper to be that last sort of chip to fall. Um, but yeah, you alluded to it. Look, Blue Jays won their very first meaningless game in spring training today. They are now, <laughs> they, they, I think they beat the, the Pirates today, two to one. So not bad, I guess. I, I don't know. You mentioned the offseason. Not the sexiest offseason, but they did do some stuff. It's not like the front office uh, sat on their hands all offseason. So uh, notable moves include new manager Charlie Montoyo, uh, cutting bait with Tulo, 
selecting uh, 19-year-old Elvis Luciano from Kansas City in the uh, Rule 5 draft, um, signing Shoemaker, trading uh, trading for, rather, Clayton Richard, trading away Russell Martin, so that whole Gibby, Bautista, Edwin, Tulo, Price, Martin, Donaldson era has officially come to a close. Um, Signing Freddie Galvis and signing John Axford recently. Thoughts on, you can pinpoint any specific move you want. You can talk about it in the general sense, but uh, how do you feel about the Blue Jays' 2019 outlook? Um, I, I mean, they addressed a few things. The The Galvis signing was a little um, odd to me at first because I figured that, the Blue, that once the Blue Jays traded away Tulo, that cleared the path for uh, Lourdes Gurriel to basically be the the starting shortstop for the Jays in 2019, but I don't, it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. Um, so, but I mean, Galvis is a, a really durable player. He's not an incredible, incredibly uh, offensive minded player. He's, he's known for his defense and and playing. I think he averaged something like 158 games played the last three or four seasons. So he'll stay on the field. Unlike Troy Tulowitzki uh, over the hmm. last couple of years, um, the pitching to me, I still think they're probably going to sign a reliever or two, maybe do what they did last year and sign, you know, how they signed Clippard and Axford and O late in, in spring, they might do that with another arm or two. Um, you know, the, the Richard and the, I like the shoemaker signing. I actually really like, I think he's a, yeah. a really, um, solid bounce back candidate. Uh, Richard to me is like, he's like, what he's like 34, 35. So he's basically there to eat up innings. It's not going to be, he'll be, he'll pitch to like a four, four and a half, five ERA. Um, other than that, it was basically, yeah, just clearing the deck of all the veteran players, like getting rid of Tulo, getting rid of Martin, and clearing the way for, you know, guys like Danny Jansen to get everyday playing time um, and whoever at shortstop. So it wasn't wasn't a sexy offseason for the Blue Jays, but they did a lot of, they made a lot of moves that they needed to make to set them up for the next uh, two to three years. Yeah, it's sort of indicative of what we've seen from uh, Atkins and Shapiro all, all since their beginning with the Blue Jays. Um, I, you mentioned Shoemaker. I really like the signing. I, I know a lot of people weren't happy with it because it's not a name that sort of jumps off the page. But, look, I, I, I don't know if this is a bold prediction. Maybe you can classify it as such. But if I were a betting man, I wouldn't be surprised if he started the year as the number two starter for the Jays. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um... I wrote this for Blue Jays Nation a while ago, but his um, peripheral stats are very similar to Aaron Sanchez's going back to, I think, 2016. They both had breakout campaigns in 16. They've both been pretty hurt in 17 and 18. Um, and this is a guy who, like Aaron Sanchez, you know, a few years ago, we thought it was basically a perennial Cy Young candidate coming out of 16. Shoemaker's been dealing with injuries. Um, but he had he posted some really good numbers with the Angels at the end of uh, at the end of last year. So I feel like he's probably a pretty solid bounce back candidate. And for whatever he signed, I think it was three or four million or something. It was you know it's a pretty modest amount um, to take a flyer on a guy like that. And he has an option for twenty twenty, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could see him. Yeah, like two or three, at least a number three starter on this team. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those 
signings that I feel it was forward thinking in a way that if he breaks right and, you know, has a bounce back season or half season, he's also a nice little trade chip for the Blue Jays uh, come July. And, you know, the, on paper, and of course it's baseball, man, anything can happen. I, 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 I just like to leave the door at least slightly ajar here, but the Blue Jays on paper aren't really competing this year. I think that's fair to say. I think it's fair to say that it might not be as bad as last year. It certainly should be a little bit more entertaining because there's going to be a lot more uh, prospects hopping up and playing on a more consistent and regular basis. But there's really no uh, long-term plans. or He's not part of the long-term plans, obviously, with the one, one-on-one deal. So I think that it, should he bounce back and should he perform well for this team, um, that's sort of the Blue Jays' recipe uh, lately is to use that and sort of flip it for prospects to add more stability to the system that's already pretty stable as it is. Yeah, yeah more than likely he's not fitting into the 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 next timeline of the of contention for the Blue Jays. Shoemaker's not going to be here when Bichette and Guerrero are here. And more than likely the Blue Jays did what they did with O last year. Like they signed him to a, a one-year deal with an option, which suddenly makes him a, a lot more attractive to a contending team at the trade deadline because then they can pick him up for two playoff runs potentially. So yeah, if Shoemaker is healthy, uh, he's, as you mentioned, he's probably tagged to be trade bait. And at the very least, you know, you get him through this year, he chews up some innings um, and that avoids the blue Jays handing the ball to, you know, someone like Joe Biagini for a start or something like that, which makes it hopefully a little less painful. Yeah, and I think this also is hinging on the success that Tron Reed Foley will have. Uh, I, I think he's going to start the year in Buffalo. Um, I think he's the de facto number six starter for this team. So, you know, if everything breaks right for the rotation and Richard is the only one that is sort of substituted out, I think that would leave Sean Reed Foley to sort of come up uh, post-trade deadline and be the I, the de facto fifth starter for the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, I'd be cool with that. From what I saw from him last year, it was a pretty pretty solid arm. I think control is probably his biggest issue. Um, you know, just getting the ball in the strike zone. The the velocity is really appealing, like the, the 95-plus mile-an-hour fastball on him. Maybe that down the road, he's tagged potentially as a reliever. I mean, at the very least, he could be a really nice... If you pare down his pitches to two or three pitches, he could be a pretty solid relief arm, but... Um, he's young enough that the Blue Jays are going to give him enough opportunities to start um, and see how he does. And if he does, if he falters in the rotation at the very least, you do have a nice high velo uh, bullpen arm there. But yeah, I think at, at some point, Reed Foley, because as we've seen the last few years, the Blue Jays go through tons of starters. So we're going to see Reed Foley at some point, whether he sticks in the rotation or not is, a, is something that we'll have to see. Yeah, it's all also hinging on whether or not Aaron Sanchez can, you know, get rid of these blister issues that have been popping up for the past two years. Um, I'm hoping that he shaved that down pretty substantially to the point where the flesh can't, uh, you know, have blister issues. Um, I'm half kidding when I say that because the stuff on this guy, we've talked about it at length before. Um, when it's on, it's on. And I, I really just would like to see just for pure entertainment, uh, Aaron Sanchez have a bounce back year and sort of bring that fire back. 
because um, when I, like I said, when his stuff is on, it's just electric. Well, yeah, we saw it even last year. I think it was that one start in Baltimore uh, against the Orioles where he was, I think he was no hitting them into the seventh inning or something like that. Like it was, it felt like, okay, Aaron Sanchez is back. Like he put that 20, that horror of a 2017 season behind him. And then lo and behold, he basically had the same thing happen to him in, in 18. Um, yeah, it's a, this will be, whether it's with the Blue Jays or not, I think it's going to be a make-or-break year for someone like Aaron Sanchez because he only has two years of, of team control. I, I don't know if he fits in with this uh, with this team, the, the timeline of contention for the next few years, uh, but he is a, a really intriguing arm to watch. Um because I like, I think he's at this point, he's we're safe to say that he's a starter and not a reliever. I think it would be just because of all the issues he's had over the last few years. Some people, it might lead some people to think, okay, let's just put him back in the bullpen. Let's pare his repertoire down and maybe we can get him through a season healthy enough in the bullpen. But I, I still feel like he's probably a starter. He's, he's built himself up now. He, has the durability to go a full season. We've seen it once, uh, but I think a lot of a lot of people thought that maybe that was the exception to the rules, 2016 season, but um, I, I think he's still got it in there. I, I don't know if this is going to be the year that he puts it all together, but he's there's enough talent there that you still feel like Aaron Sanchez could be, you know, a top 10 or top 15 pitcher in the AL. Yeah, he's got the stuff, man, but when it... <laughs> It's unfortunate because you look at him and he's been a Blue Jay mainstay for quite a while, but then you see like his free agency is sort of looming. It's on the horizon. Um, how many years of control does he have left? One or two? Uh, two more. Yeah. Two. This year, next year. Yeah. All right. So, you know, Scott Boris is licking his chops right now. And, you know, the, the marriage between Scott Boris and the Blue Jays hasn't been uh, that to be bragged about, I guess you can say. So I think maybe maybe that's rectified with the, with the new front office, right? I don't think that Atkins and Shapiro have had any dealings directly with Boris since being uh, on the Blue Jays front office team. So maybe that's something that's sort of in the past um, and it's not something that is, I don't know, it's no longer applicable to the Blue Jays. But if it is, and if they are trepidatious to sort of, you know, get into negotiations with Boris, um, you might see him also cut loose sooner rather than later. Well, I think, I want to say Kendris Morales, I think his agent was Scott Boris. So if, um, obviously the Blue Jays have not had many dealings with Boris prior to Shapiro and Atkins, but um, if they, by signing Morales, you know, I think they've kind of bridged that gap and realized they are willing to deal, um, with Boris. And it's not as though Sanchez is coming from a position of strength here either. Like he's, even if he's healthy this year, um, then all of a sudden that, you know, there's still a lot of questions about his durability and, you know, we know Boris for trying to extract as much money and term as humanly possible for his players. I mean, people, Bryce Harper has him as an agent for a very yeah. good reason. Um, and I think Sanchez switched to Boris right after the end of, oh no, sorry, it was at the end of 15, I think. Um, so, but it's not, Sanchez will be interesting. Like maybe if he has a solid 
2019, maybe the Blue Jays realized, okay, let's try and get him to like a, a team-friendly contract. Like you've seen players out there like Severino and Nola, they've they've locked themselves in to, to stay on team-friendly deals, maybe because they're anxious about what awaits them in free agency, or maybe they just feel like this is that's the organization where they want to stay. And perhaps Aaron Sanchez is in that same boat this year. We'll see what happens. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Well, you sort of gave me an assist there because that was my terrible way of segueing into Marcus <laughs> Stroman. So we can uh, we can start right there. So look, um, you wrote about it for the Blue Jays Nation. I wrote about it on South to the Six. Um, I liked your article because it didn't really tip your hand, right? It it, it pretty much. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seemed like you were just playing devil's advocate in a way um, without illustrating how you feel about the situation. Um, Whether or not you want to keep that close to the vest, you're surely um, entitled to do so. But look, it's rubbing people the wrong way. And I'll admit that during the interview, when it was um, put online and the videos and the audio was up... um, I was in the office, so I wasn't able to listen or see it. I was only able to read the comments. And when you just read the comments, it's sort of innocuous, right? I didn't really think it was that big of a deal until I heard the way he said it. And it's strange because that it completely rubbed me the wrong way. And it completely felt like he had some sort of vendetta against the club. And I... Probably should have seen that written in between the lines when it was, you know, on paper and reported. But um, he made a lot of comments, and a lot of them were centered around the team. A lot of them were centered around the front office. And I like to break it down into four main chunks, Um, that being his contract status, um, veteran status on the team, how he embodies Toronto, and the front office doing their job. Um, so I want to start with the contract. Um, he quit. This is his quote. Um, mentally, I'm ready to perform whenever it may be. I want to play here. I've been wanting to play here for a long time. I've wanting, I've been wanting to sign a long-term deal. I've been offered nothing. So does this surprise you? Number one, that Marcus Stroman, um, according to him, hasn't been offered any sort of long-term deal. Or do you think like we're in such a uh, frugal market with MLB and ownership that this comes as no surprise. And this is sort of uh, the way it is trending now. Well, I think first of all, the definition of offer could mean many things. Um, I think not to put words in his mouth, but I think in Marcus's mind, an offer is a physical piece of paper with a contract at which he has not seen, which I'm not denying, but I, th- I would suspect that the blue Jays, have probably approached Stroman's agent with some entabled um, or at least discussed a, uh, a contract extension because that's what every intelligent front office should do. They should look at extending their, their talented players. Um, so I think it's a case where they've kicked around numbers. It's not gotten to a point where the Blue Jays are officially going to say, okay, Marcus will give you a four-year deal worth $40 million or something like that. Or I think the Blue Jays have offered something and it's an inc- it's such a low ball offer that Stroman's agent just doesn't, isn't even going to entertain it because I, it wouldn't shock me if the Jays went to Stroman's agent this winter and said, yeah, okay, we'll lock you. We'll buy out two years of ARB. We'll, uh, 
we'll sign you up for two more years of free agency and yeah, we'll do it at 10 million a year and $40 million. And it, it's, that would be on par with what um, Nola and Severino got. But it's, if you're a, if you're a starting pitcher, you're probably thinking, well, wait, I can get more than that on the free agent market. But the way things have trended lately, maybe not. Um, so I, I don't, I, I think they have discussed numbers. I just think it hasn't gotten to the point where it's a formal offer has been presented by Marcus's agent to Marcus. Uh, numbers have been discussed. I believe I'm just, well, I'm just guessing, right? right. That's, uh, that's what I think he's saying when he says there has been no offer. They've probably talked, they've talked, but they haven't, there hasn't been anything formal. Yeah, it seems like uh, contract situations or money situations um, with the Blue Jays and Stroman, it's almost becoming episodic, right? So last year, this was a a narrative or a little news bit with uh, the arbitration hearing and how he was upset um, with basically the Blue Jays defending their case for their offer in arbitration and um, I guess making the case against the offer that he wanted. Um, and Stroman took this to heart. He went on Twitter saying, I'll never forget the bad things or whatever that the team said about me. Um, look, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have an issue with the player thinking that he's worth more than what is being offered if something's being offered at all. Um, you do want your players to think that they deserve all the money in the world. That sort of keeps them going. That sort of uh, makes them have something to chase and to work towards. I, I admire the fact that Stroman thinks that he, I don't know, maybe he thinks in his mind he's a $300 million player too, like, you know, Machado or Harper. Um, realistically, I don't think that's true, but I don't fault him for believing that. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's smart business nowadays to. Uh, extend long-term offers. And that's another key bit. What is considered long-term to Stroman and to to Blue Jays brass? Like, I I think if the Blue Jays are going to offer anything, quote-unquote, long-term for a starting pitcher, um, it would surprise me very much if it was more than four years. Um, I I think they're that uh, sort of conservative with their contract offers that anything exceeding that would be sort of eye-popping now. But I don't know, maybe maybe they did offer something. Maybe they did have some conversations and kicked around some numbers. Or, you know, maybe, you know, Atkins is really good uh, at keeping things, I don't want to say close to the vest, but very good at thinking an offer may not be an offer or, or vice versa. <laughs> so maybe he thinks the arbitration hearing that happened or the arbitration that was offered the figure, maybe that's his contract offer, quote unquote. Like, yes, we did. We did offer him something. We did give him money. Look, and this is how you're getting a quote unquote raise here. Yeah. That was the, from that whole uh, media scrum, that was the one thing that the one takeaway that I had was that Marcus says he, he was offered nothing. And then I think it was Rob Longley of the sun refuted that saying he had sources and the blue Jays tell him, they have offered him something. So that that's the one thing that raised a red flag to me. Everything else he said, I think he made a lot of good points. Um, and was, uh, I mean, the way he said it could have been a little more tactful, but that was basically, that's the way Marcus Stroman is like the way he delivered that message. It was very, it was almost like politician, like, like he was, he had points that he wanted to make, 
And he went on, like it was like a 20 minute rant basically where he covered everything from his contract, clubhouse presence, um, you know, just every, he wanted to get everything off of his chest and it was, he was motivated. There was something, it wasn't just off the cuff. Like he was just bringing this up. It was, he had a, uh, the media was in front of him and it was, he had a pulpit and he was standing there and he was telling everybody what he thought, whether they want to hear it or not. Um, so I think like, that's why I took the devil's advocate approach with that article, because I think the first guttural reaction of most people when they heard about this was here we go again. Like it's just Stroman being Stroman. He's thinking about himself. He's being very self-centered. Let's keep in mind, like he, the, his first year in the big leagues was 2014, 2015. He, you know, he injures his ACL, but he comes back at the end of the year and he's thrust into a playoff drive in his second year in, in the big leagues. And then 2016, he's given the ball in the AL wildcard game. The Blue Jays season is on the line. He's entrusted right. with the Blue Jays season. So like, this is a guy who was thrust into this environment very quickly. And all of a sudden that's taken away. All these veteran guys are out the door and it's him left standing with strong or Sanchez, him and, those are and maybe Justin smoke. Those are basically like the three biggest figures left over from 15 and 16. And if that happened to me, I'd be like, yeah, of course. Like ever, where is the veteran presence in this room? Like all of a sudden Martin's taken out, Tulo's gone, Donaldson, Bautista, and you're expected to be a veteran. Like maybe he doesn't want to be a veteran or maybe he doesn't want to be a, a leader in that clubhouse. So I can understand that. And then, you know, every, Every team, it seems like they have an outspoken player who will call, you know, the front office out or whoever, if something isn't right. And we've had those players in the past. Jose Bautista did it a few years ago. Josh Donaldson did it last year. Now that they're gone, who is that player in the Blue Jays? If you go up and down the roster, it's Marcus Stroman, right? There's nobody else. It's like Justin Smoke is not going to call out Ross Atkins no, no. on things, or I don't see Randall Gritchick doing that. So Stroman probably felt like I got to stand up for my guys here because it the, it's the way that Major League Baseball is trending right now. This relationship between the players and the owners is becoming very contentious, and so Stroman's probably feeling like you know what all these guys are gone. I'm going to step up for my boys here. And I think that's the place where he was coming from. But just because, you know, the things that he said and done in the past, like, as you mentioned, is airing out his grievance with the um, arbitration. And then the whole Nat Bailey thing where he flipped out on Rash Danny, like that's everyone remembers those instances and then just associates it with what he said a couple weeks ago. But so that's why I tried to take the stance of let's hear the guy out, see where he's coming from, put ourselves in his shoes. And th- then that's why I kind of, I realize I'm like, okay, I get where he's coming from. For sure. Uh, don't get it twisted. I, I do think that most, if not all of the points that he made were correct. I think he's pretty much bang on on everything. I think there's no debate about that. I guess maybe now, um, at age 33, I, I maybe I'm a traditionalist now, and I, I've lost touch with my my punk rock youth here. But <laughs> um, look, I, I think there is a level of professionalism that is still demanded in the game. I know um, people are liking the way it's trending. 
towards showing emotion more on the mound, um, bat flips and celebrating home runs, and just sort of bringing in uh, a, a human emotion to the game that has been sort of suppressed since the beginning. Um, I get that, and I and I value that. However, I just don't see the value of taking pot shots at your organization to the media. I don't think that's going to do you any favors with the organization that you play with and any organization that you may have had an opportunity to sign with if the organization that you play with now doesn't want to extend a long-term deal at all. So he's not doing himself any favors in terms of PR and in terms of his own brand moving forward. I think that you know, you it's it's difficult to reconcile these these things. It's difficult to reconcile that. Hey, I don't know if I want to be uh, the leader of this clubhouse. I'm not prepared for that. I'm sort of still coming into my own as well. But at the same time, saying there is nobody that embodies the city of Toronto like I do. You can't really have that both ways. You can't say you can't elevate yourself to the pinnacle of what it means to be not just a Toronto Blue Jay, but a Toronto sports athlete. And then say, I'm not ready to be a leader in this clubhouse. I don't know that you can have it both ways with Stroman. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, I I thought the way like he came out and said that he embodies Toronto, I mean, he has the the CN Tower tattooed on his on his body. Like, you know, it's yeah. I I don't deny that. Um, I heard some people saying, you know, Stroman has like strategically aligned himself with Toronto in Canada and not the Blue Jays per se, because mm. that maybe that is strategic where, you know, Stroman can always go back and say, well, I've always, always professed my love for Toronto and Canada. Like, how can you do this to me or, you know, something, but he's never, or hasn't recently de- uh, expressed his devotion to the Blue Jays. Um, I can, I can see it both ways. Um, yeah, it's, it's, he's a really interesting figure. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, he can be as a fan, it's kind of frustrating to watch, but as someone who writes about the team, it's utterly fascinating because he's, he's such a polarizing figure. He, he makes, whether the blue Jays are good or not, um, he makes, he makes things interesting. He keeps people on their toes he gives us things to write about, gives us things to talk about. Um, and I appreciate that he's, he is an open book. Like he doesn't, everything, what he if he thinks something, you will hear it. Whether you want to hear it or not, he is going to tell you. He's an open book on everything. Um, and he's very active on social media, as I'm sure most people have noticed. And it, that's part of his brand. That's him. That's how he does. He has his own clothing line. He raps with his friend, Mike Studd. Like he does, the guy does everything. Like it's just, that's him. I, I get it. I understand it. Um, it's just the way it's from a front office perspective, circling back to what you said, it does feel like he is kind of fighting his own organization. And that can be frustrating from a front office perspective because, you know, you're trying to get all these young guys to buy in to this being like a, you know, being a good teammate. You've heard this organization. Everyone's talking about teammate, teammate, teammate. That's the one phrase I've heard ad nauseum over the last, last like eight, 10 months with the Blue Jays is they're trying to cultivate this, um, culture of just, you know, playing for one another and it's not an individual sport. Uh, whereas Stroman, you know, he is very 
individualistic, if I guess we could put it yeah. that way, right? So, I, it, he doesn't the, the way he doesn't jive with what the culture of the Blue Jays, what they're trying to shift towards. That's that, that is just my you know amateur diagnosis here. So, you know, fighting your own front office not a good thing. I think one way or another, he's probably either traded or the Blue Jays just don't bring him back over the next two years. But he's got a ton of talent, really entertaining uh, to cover and to watch. And yeah, he gives us, uh, he, he keeps us employed, which is good. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting that you put it that way because um, I, I can't say the three main sports within the city because well one of them that I'm about to mention isn't even in the city but I guess the Buffalo Bills are like the de facto NFL team for Toronto um so stick with me here so you get the Bills the Raptors and the Blue Jays it's interesting that at least you know almost in the same area all three of those teams were implementing some sort of culture change right and I, and I think this is the way teams are are trending that's why I mentioned them um they're valuing clubhouse chemistry or, or locker room chemistry, um, attitude, respect for your your coaches or your managers, a little bit more than ability, right? So they're not going to chase a guy like a Bryce Harper just because he's awesome if they know there's an attitude issue. I think it's important to Atkins and Shapiro that they have players that mesh well that really aren't going to be clicky and that will act act as a unit moving forward, right? And that's why you see this breed of championship culture culminate throughout the, the entire minor league system. Um, I think Dunedin won with Vlad, and then New Hampshire won. Um, maybe the Bisons will win this year. I know he's not going to be there towards the end, but you never know. Like they, They're breeding some sort of winning culture through and through the system, and that speaks a lot to how players are going to connect with one another. Um, I know when Reyes, Edwin, um, Bautista, th- when they were on the team, there was rumors that the locker room was sort of clicky. Yep. Um, so I think the now teams are sort of trying to avoid that, and they want to act, uh, act as an entire unit rather than just like pockets of players in the locker room uh, sticking to one corner or the other. So if... If this is how Marcus Stroman is going to conduct himself, you nailed it. It's pretty individualistic. And I don't know how conducive that is with the mindset and the trajectory of this team moving forward. Um, I know Atkins said, I'm really excited to have him and (laughs) I, I hope he's healthy. But let's not forget, right? This is the same guy that when Roberto Osuna got suspended, verbatim, Roberto Osuna is our closer. And it's sort of like that is the sort of vibe that I got when Atkins said, I'm really excited to have Strowman on this team. Yeah, it's I, that was like the biggest you could tell he was trying his like you could you could just see the horns coming out like it was very mm-hmm. of course he's pinocchio man or yeah. sorry pinocchio yeah i was thinking yeah. something totally different but yeah it, it's okay along with the the vlad the vlad comment this week about you know him not being a major league baseball player like he's just saying those things because he has to say those things i don't think he believes those things but the democratic thing to do is to Say, yeah, we love he's setting a great example for our young players. Meanwhile, he's like, he's setting a bad example for younger players. <laughs> Pretty so, much. So yeah, that's that's the one other thing too, is like 
if you're the front office and you're seeing one of your, I guess Roman's a veteran player, like if, one of your, you know, marquee starters and you're seeing him conduct himself that way. He's supposed to be setting an example for your younger players, your younger starters, your pitchers, everybody. That's not the front office is saying, okay, do not do that. Yeah. Yeah. I I said it in the article that I wrote that, you know, I I have no problems with him vocalizing these things to the front office. In fact, I encourage him to do so. If he has an issue with how they're operating and he wants to go toe to toe with them and have this conversation for X amount of hours, that's his prerogative, man. Go for it. It doesn't bother me any, but do it behind closed doors. I don't think going to the media and airing these grievances is going to do him any favors. And, you know, to put my tinfoil conspiracy hat on for a second, and you can do the same if you want. Um, Acknowledging how individualistic we portray him to be, or as he uh, chose to be, I guess you can say, ostensibly. Um, How much do you think this is sour grapes that he is not the talk of the town for the Blue Jays. He's not the de facto face of the franchise or the heir apparent to like a Josh Donaldson face of the franchise or a Jose Bautista face of the franchise. And that Vlad and other kids are getting more of an attention spotlight than him. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's sour grapes so much as him just maybe being disappointed in himself because we have seen in the past, like in at the tail end of 15 and 17, he can put it together and be a top 10 uh, Cy Young pitcher in the American league. Uh, I don't know if he's like holding a grudge against the front office because the, the spotlight is focusing on these younger players. Like maybe he has some contempt you know, for the fact that the Blue Jays are rebuilding and they're not really, you know, putting all their best efforts and putting their best team on the field to start the season in 2019, which was something that he brought up. I think that's a very valid point and something that, uh, uh, something that I think a lot of people have thought is that, you know, are a lot of teams really doing their best effort to, to field a competitive ball a ball club in 2019. I don't think the blue Jays are, there's a lot of teams in the American league that aren't. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's Sarah. I would like to hope that a player isn't that vindictive against the front office, but yeah, I think it's him a combination of, you know, being disappointed that he didn't have the best season that he could have in, in 18, that he was injured and that, you know, the blue Jays are in the position that they are right now. They're not contending, which is, Probably not a fun environment to be in if you were there for 15 and 16 when that was, you know, the most electricity Toronto baseball has seen in, you know, 20, 25 years. For sure. And I I just don't know that it, I don't know that that logic is sort of lost on me if that's how he's operating. And it obviously this doesn't fall on your, sh- your shoulders. You're just sort of speculating here, but um, you can't compete every year. Like there is no such sports franchise. If if this is his attitude and his um, outlook on the team, he shouldn't expect the team to compete every single year. No team is good every year in the history of any sports. It's just it's just not possible. So when he says, "I hope everybody in the organization is doing everything that they can to put a winning franchise on the team," 
Um, maybe there's conflict in what they consider to be uh, a winning system or a winning recipe. Like for Marcus Stroman, maybe the the outlook here is it's got to be immediate. It's got to be this year. Whereas the front office might look at it as, well, we are doing everything we can to uh, create a winner here. It's just taking time. And when it clicks, it's going to click on a consistent basis, more than just a two-year flash in the pan like 2015 and 16. As electric as it was, as you mentioned, but we want to do that over longer stretches of time. Um so I, I don't know. I, I don't know that he should look at it that way because, look, if the Blue Jays kept doing everything they can, kept pushing their chips all the way in, they wouldn't have the crop of players that they have right now in order to build that consistent winner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's true. I, I think um, if you are a player, you it's it's nice that you have a contending team. But, I mean, if I'm thinking about just me, of course, like I want – to play on a winning team every single year. I don't want to slog through a, a 73 win season because we've seen the blue Jays do that the last two years and it's not a fun environment. And if you feel, if it feels like it's going nowhere, that's probably, you know, not the, the best ideal situation for a, a young player. But if you feel like you are making progress and it kind of, it kind of does feel like this organization is building on their, they have built up their farm system to the point where, maybe they can start making a run in a few years and you add a few free agents here and there. But yeah, it's, I, I see, I see it from both sides. I see where I see Marcus's concerns. I see what the front office is trying to create. And I, yeah, it's, that's always the thing I've with Stroman. I think everyone wants to take the anti Stroman stance right away. And I I've done that in the past and it's easy to go down that path, but I urge whatever happens next, because I'm sure it'll happen again. <laughs> always take the anti anti Stroman stance first, and and then just weigh your options. And then you, you can still take the anti Stroman stance, but just you know see it from the other side first. How much do you want to bet that the next or all Blue Jays series against the Red Sox or Rashman Dean will just not be there? <laughs> Yeah, there might be a uh, wait until the proper time to to ask ask the question. But I guess the, that was the one thing about that thing was that Stroman really doesn't isn't available to the media very often. So he, they were just he was just asking his question then because that's when he knew he could talk to him. But if he waited, he could have asked him during that scrum a couple of weeks ago because he wanted Stroman wanted to talk about everything back then. Yeah, 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 true. Look, I, I don't fault the guy. I, I do think that it's interesting that we have a player that is willing to be outspoken, right? And and this is where I'll play devil's advocate in favor of Stroman because so often we as fans are vocal, you know, especially on Twitter, that, you know, we want more uh, presence. We want to know our players. We want them to be more vocal. We want them to talk. We want to hear what's going on. And then when they do, it's sort of like, hey, shut up fall in line and uh, do as you're told. And you can't have it both ways. Like if we want to trend in this direction and make baseball fun, uh, I, I don't want to say make baseball fun again because that makes me you know, really <laughs> nauseous. So I'll, I'll refrain from that. But if we want to make baseball more fun, put it that way, um, and have a little bit more uh, sizzle in the pan uh, in regards to showing of emotion and attitude and having uh, access to the individual's in their personalities. 
um, we we have to anticipate some things that we might not like, right? We're going to have to anticipate erasing the aura of like the hero complex that we apply to these players to that, you know, we oftentimes think of them as like more than just men. And then when we humanize them and bring them down to like regular human beings, it's sort of like, hey, that's not my perception of you. Uh, you just messed this up for me and I'm angry about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, baseball has always been a very, you know, conservative sport. And you compare and contrast that with the NBA where it's a very player-driven league, right? You have players who are calling the shots, who, you know, are demanding trades. And that's that's absolutely what they should be doing. And But you don't really see that very often in baseball. Like, how often do you hear a player demanding a trade like it's it, it doesn't happen very often and usually if it does the, the most people side against that player so I, I can kind of see the parallels here with Stroman where he's being outspoken and trying to represent his his peers and himself and you know just make it a more entertaining sport and being more outspoken and trying to be this like new voice of a, of a new generation and of baseball players. And I think it's refreshing. I think it's, as you mentioned, it's not sometimes they, they say things and do things that you don't necessarily approve with, but you can't just pick and choose. Like you have to, it has to be one way or the other. And I think we should be open to these kinds of players to speak their mind, even if, you know, sometimes they're completely wrong, but that's just how it goes. This is the overtime podcast network. Let's not forget, Derek Jeter was not on the field on camera. Derek Jeter off the field. Let's just that, that blow people's mind with that. But all right, let's move on. This, there's an interesting balance here that we're talking about. You know, we have Stroman in the front office. This aspect of business versus versus ethics, and I think this flows nicely into the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. situation. Um, look, this I've never seen the fan base so divided on an issue. Um, whether or not Vlad should start the season with the team and, you know, sort of do away with that extra year of service time or whether or not they should keep him down in AAA because the Blue Jays aren't really fighting for anything. They're not even contending for anything, rather. Um, And so there's no point. So um, you wrote about this on the Daily Hive. So I kind of want to get your take. Are you on board with either side? Are you sort of like in the middle and you have an understanding of both sides? Where are you personally with the uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. service time situation? Um, I've gone back and forth on this. I, the For me, the pendulum has swung the other way. Like a few months ago, I was completely from the rationale of the front office. I understand why they're doing what they're doing. I I believe they should extract as much value as they possibly can, keep them down for a few weeks in April, get that seventh year of control. Complete, I completely understand why it was going to happen, when it was going to happen. There's no secrets. Everybody in baseball knows that the Blue Jays are going to do this. And then, you know, Ross Atkins made those comments to MLB Network Radio a couple days ago saying that um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not a major league baseball player. Uh, and then that's, that's kind of when I lost it. And I, and I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like I, it's not, it's nothing against the blue Jays organization or Ross Atkins because he's absolutely saying what he should. Uh, if he said anything differently, the MLBPA files a grievance and slaps the blue Jays on the wrist. I don't know what, what the results of that would be. 
But that's exactly what the front office needs to do and they need to say. Problem is they've been peppered with this question hundreds of times in the last 10 months. So I think, you know, we've heard every excuse in the book that Vlad needs to work on his defense. He needs to work on base running. You know, he's not a complete player, yada, yada, yada. It's so, but this last one, it was just to me, I'm like, that's insulting to a guy who had like an otherworldly year in the minor leagues last year. He's the consensus number one prospect in baseball. I mean, if this guy is not a major league baseball player, then who the hell is right. And I just, when I saw that, I, I went completely the other way. And if Vlad was on, don't get me wrong. If he was on any other team, they'd be doing the exact same thing. So this situation is not unique to the Toronto Blue Jays. The Cubs did this with Chris Bryant a few years ago. Braves did this with Acuna last year. Uh, the White Sox will do this with him and as this year, that's just the way the system is. And the system is broken. So, but that's the thing. Like it's, you're holding back a generational talent, someone who deserves to be in the major leagues. He could, he could have been called up like last before he got injured last year, like July, August, he should have been with the blue Jays, but because of this service time issue and how MLB teams are allowed to exploit it, that's what teams are doing. And I think like we understand why it happens, but that doesn't make it a it doesn't make it okay. And I'm just, I, I feel like I've had it. Like, I'm just, <laughs> let's like, stop the madness. Like, this is not, we're, we're counting numbers and like, this is bean counting. Like if we call them up here, we'll get them for X amount of days. Like, just stop it. It's, it's, I don't like, I, I understand why they're doing it. Everyone knows why they're doing it. It, it makes complete sense. But for me, from the selfish perspective, I'm like, just call the guy up. Like he deserves to be there. I think money for him is not really an issue because, you know, he grew up in a, with a, with a hall of fame, uh, baseball player with, as his father. Right. So, you know, he's kind of had those comforts growing up. It sounds like Vlad is pretty chill about the whole thing, which is very fortunate because, you know, he could take the complete opposite stance and we'd, we'd have a big fight in our hands with the Blue Jays. But yeah, it's just, I've, I, I don't, I'm tired of hearing the excuses. I'm just tired of it. And it's, it's going to keep happening until the Blue Jays call him up. And, but this is a system that's broken. And I think in the next few years, when the time comes to negotiate the collective bargaining agreement, the players association is going to cite this very example with Vlad and Chris Bryant. And they're going to say, this is, this needs to stop. Like we have to, ha we have to keep our superstar ball, ball players in major league baseball and pay and play them as much as we can and pay them as much as we can and stop manipulating ways to hold them back when they clearly deserve to be at the major league level. I don't disagree that he's deserving of it. Um, I, I think that he is, by all accounts, uh, a generational talent. And I'm sort of glad that you took this position because uh, I'm in favor of the opposite. So this is going to be a very fun and interesting conversation. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it, you know, conversation sucks when it's just a grief fest 2019. So, yeah, yeah. so um, look, I get it. I get that ethically, I guess you can say, um, it doesn't serve Vladimir Guerrero Jr. well. And this is also assuming, this is based on the assumption 
that he is not on board with this, right? And I don't know what the phrasing is that Atkins may be giving to him or his agent saying something like, we like you so much (laughs) that we want to keep you for as long as possible. You know, like, you could sort of spin it that way to him and be like, I know this looks bad on paper. I know it looks like we're holding you down, but we just want to keep you for as long as possible. And I get the counter argument to that is, we'll just sign him. Just sign him to a 10-year deal right now. Kind of can't do that. It's kind of foolish because the reason why the Blue Jays want him for so long and what they're not saying out loud is, yeah, but we also really want want you really cheap, too. Yeah, so of course. Like with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and again, that makes total business sense. I, I totally understand it. Um, the job of, much like the Stroman conversation, the job of the Blue Jays' front office is to not look out for the single interest of one player. It's to look out for the interests of the team, not just now, but in the long term. And if they can get another year of of service time to what may possibly be, and I don't think this is hyperbole, what could possibly be the best player in franchise history, you sort of need to protect your assets. And you sort of need to, you owe it to the organization and the city in a way to have this player on your roster for as long as possible because, look, let's not kid ourselves. Like the, you, you can probably see the tweets now. If they brought him up to the start of this year, six years from now, people would be like, why didn't they just keep him down for 30 meaningless games and so we can have him for another year? Now we got to cross our fingers and hope the Blue Jays can resign him, but they never spend. I'd rather sort of have him for seven years and extend that window, even if it's just for a year, extend that window to have them as cheap as possible so when the time comes, the Blue Jays can hopefully, knock on desk here, spend on free agents maybe that will really push this club into contention and really solidify their place, uh, maybe supremacy in the AL East. If for some reason the Blue Jays decided to do a complete 180 and they said, Oh, we're going to, he's going to make the opening day roster. Like people would be excited, but there would also be others who would rake this organization over the coals. Like, right. They would say, why did you, why, why now? All of, and then all of a sudden you've blown that extra year of team control. So if you're going to go 95% of the way, go a hundred. Like it's just, it, we've reached this point now where it's like, okay, well they have to do it. They, they, unless they, sign them to a contract extension uh, before he even makes the big leagues, they've, they're going to do it. They're going to hold them back, um, which makes perfect sense. But like the selfish part of me is like, you know, he's, he's done everything he possibly could do at the minor right. league level. Like, yes, he might be a little bit rusty as we saw from that slide into home over the weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, may he probably could work on things defensively, in the minor leagues, but like, are you really like how all of a sudden is being in the minor leagues going to make him a major league baseball player? Like getting a few extra reps in triple a is going to help. Like he's at the big league level, your best coaches, your field coordinators, everybody's at the major league level. I had someone say that to me today. Like, you know, don't you think he would get, it would be more beneficial to keep him in Buffalo for a few weeks of development. And I, I said, no, like, all your big ticket guys, you've got your big league players 
that could be mentors in the clubhouse, they're all on the Blue Jays. Those are all the best assets and resources that you have. And you want to have your generational talent behind Vlad. Um, but then on the other hand, I can see from the front office, from their perspective, like we need to keep him under control as long as we possibly can. And go under the pretense that they wouldn't be able to extend him. So they have to make this count and they have to get seven years as opposed to six. So I, I like, I see it from both sides, but like selfish me has taken over the last couple of days. And I just said, I just, I just bring Vlad up. We need to fix the system because the way that this was set up, teams have exploited it as they should, because that's what front offices are supposed to do. But it's just, it doesn't seem ethical. Part of me doesn't seem ethical to have, you know, this generational talent rotting away in the minor leagues, teeing off poor, you know, triple A pitchers who are trying to make their way back to the big leagues. And then you've got to face Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It just doesn't seem fair. A fair, I guess, is the best word I can use to describe it. No, for sure. Like, like I said, it's business versus ethics at this point. And uh, it, I, I get that his excuse, Atkins' excuse, was it, 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 he didn't sell it well at all. No. It, it, it did not seem believable. Had he said something like, even if he just didn't say he's not a major league baseball player um, and said everything else, there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Then you go, all right, like maybe this is true. <laughs> like, you know, when you say he needs to work on his footwork or he needs to work on his conditioning or um, his defense is, is a little lackluster. It needs to just get up a little bit more to a level in which we would desire for him. Um, I think then you can, you'll scoff at it. But you'll say, look, like, that's the breaks, kid. Like, he's saying all the right things to prevent himself from pretty much shooting himself in the foot and have this grievance filed, as you mentioned. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I get that, like Stroman, how he said it was just unwise. Yeah, it's, I, and I think it's maybe just fatigue because Atkins has had to answer this question a billion times and seeing with, mm-hmm. with Mark Shapiro and they're trying to come up with new ways of saying things. And, you know, you eventually you talk so long that you might let one or two things slip and something like this. Like if he's Atkins said yet, he's not a major league player yet. Yeah. That would have made things a little bit better. Cause when I heard that, my initial reaction was, well, that's like, if I'm Vlad's agent or Vlad, I'm like, that seems a kind of a little insulting. Like I'm yeah. not a major league baseball player. Like I had an OPS over a thousand and I'm not viewed as a major league baseball player yet. Like that, how does that work? But it's just, you know, they're, they were, you could just sense that you could hear the gears turning and the, it was the PR spin was in, was in full mode there. So I, everyone knew exactly what that was. Do you think that he'll come up immediately? So in other words, like when that service time, that extra year is kicked off, do you think that they're going to immediately bring him up or do you think they're not going to make it as obvious and they're going to wait even longer and prolong that window for him to come up just so it's like, Hey, we told you he needed some work and we're honoring that for three more games. And then we're going to like bring him up. But what do you, what do you see happening here? Yeah, I'm leaning, I'm leaning towards that. I don't think it'll be, I think the situation with Chris Bryant was that the Cubs called him up like the day they were eligible to the day after. Which, 
or day after it looked incredibly suspicious like yeah. they weren't even trying to hide it i think the blue jays um i forget what day it is that he could possibly the earliest that vlad could come up i feel like it was the 12th or something uh at home i i feel like it's probably going to be closer to the end of april just to make it look like a little less suspicious now because you know at this point what's the benefit of calling him up two weeks earlier there is there really isn't any. right the the team's not going to be contending more than likely um so you can kind of sell it that way and, and bring them in. I don't think they're going to wait until I think if they wait until June, they avoid, they get past the super two deadline. I don't think, it, I don't think they're going to wait that long. I think too many people will just freak out if that happens. Um, but yeah, more than likely, I feel like it's probably, you know, around the April 30th date just to look at, make it look a little less conspicuous. Two things uh, regarding that one, you mentioned like selfishly, you want to see him, um, maybe I hold the position I do because selfishly, I also want to see him. And uh, where I live in Rhode Island, in the Pawtucket Red Sox, the Bisons are playing them in Pawtucket on the 16th of April. Ah. So I'm, yeah, so I'm just like, I'll spend 10 bucks to see him play and buy like $3 beers and just call it a day. And that I, I selfishly want that. Um, but what do you think of this? Do you think it's in... The best case scenario for the Blue Jays is that they start off the year, maybe into June, playing so well that no one can really say, well, we need them. We need to bring them up. Like just, or just well enough that it's, all, it's ostensibly unnecessary to bring him up. Um, I think that's a tough sell. I think it's a really yeah. tough sell, um, especially if the Blue Jays are playing well. I think that's when you all of a sudden you're like, well, we need to get Vlad in here as soon as possible because that would, that would have been like last year if the Blue Jays were in contention, um, you know, in May and June and many people predicted that they would have like a, you know, mid eighties win total last year. That's when you have to inject someone like Vlad. Like you just, you throw caution to the wind, you forget the whole service time issue. But now is, is, like I think unless he just like really I think the only thing that's preventing the Blue Jays from calling him up is an injury I think that's the only roadblock that's the only way Vlad doesn't make it up here before June is if he gets hurt I can see that yeah for sure or like if you want to do it on the flip side uh, they're playing so poorly that they're just like look this is baseball we all know one guy isn't going to change the the fortunes of the team. So, uh, no, we're not going to call him up. I I think that might be a little bit more likely than them uh, starting off the year so well or just well enough that they're like, ah, man, we don't even need him. Screw it. You know, I I think that's probably the recipe here. Yeah, but more than likely, you know, he's tearing the cover off the ball and most people will be, if they weren't banging the drum to call him up now, it's going to be way worse in like April. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let's put a bow on that and uh, the the show in general. Let's end it with uh, predictions here. We're, we're talking about how the Jays are going to perform, so this is a nice little avenue towards that. Um, I just wanted to get your win total prediction for the Jays. Um, they finished with 73 wins last year, and I had an interesting conversation on Twitter. Um, it would not surprise me in the least that they finish with more wins than they did last year, only because the teams, a good chunk of, che- of teams, in baseball right now are uh, not that great. 
and there's a lot of opportunity there for the Blue Jays to pick up maybe like five or six more wins than they had last year. So I just kind of wanted to get your take as to where you stand on their win total prediction. Yeah, well, I mean, at the very least, the Blue Jays are playing the Orioles 18 times this year. So Mm -hmm. that's, um, you could probably count for at least 10 to 12 wins there. Um, I think this year will be very interesting because I feel like their win total variance is very high. Um, This could be um, a 70 win team. It could be an 80 win team. Um, I, I initially, I was leaning towards closer to the 79, 80 win total range, but I think somewhere around 77 should be okay. Like everything that could go wrong went wrong last year for the blue Jays. So by nature of, uh, you just having a few more guys healthy, In 2019, you inject Vlad at some point into this lineup. Um, You know, you get a full season of someone like Gurriel, um, guys finding their footing in the starting rotation, like maybe you get a full season of Barucki. I feel like putting all these things together, clearing the path for these young guys and someone like Danny Jansen, getting a full season of Danny Jansen there. um, Naturally, it's just going to increase the win total by a few right there. So... I will, um, I'll put my win total at 77. It's that seems like a fairly modest, um, prediction, but yeah, it's, I, it's not going to be as painful as it was last year. Like it was 73 wins last year. Was that what it was? Mm -hmm. 73, 73, but that was a painful 73 wins, right? That could have, that could have easily been six. It felt like a 68 or like a 67 win season. This will be 77. It'll be a little cleaner. Um, it's a year of development for a lot of players here, a uh, year of transition for a few guys like Stroman and Sanchez, uh, guys like Devin Travis, Justin Smoke, you know, you're wondering where these guys fit in. I think a lot of things probably click together, but ultimately they, you know, they don't have the talent to be a contender in this division quite yet. So yeah, 77, that'll be my, uh, that'll be my guess. It's just around what I had to, I had, um, in the 78, 80 range. So I'll stick it at uh, 79 just to get the average there. Um, Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that, you know, with the start of the season, Kevin Pillar usually starts off hot and we, you know, put the blinders on and think he's going to be awesome forever. And then, you know, May happens. Um, But if, if the Jays can start off hot and take advantage of the, uh, the other bad teams in the league, you mentioned the Orioles, um, then yeah, even the Tigers, I don't, I don't think they're going to be that great this year either. Um, and look, I, I don't know how good the Rays are going to be. You know, they don't have Archer anymore, so he's sort of a Blue Jay killer. So maybe maybe in that regard, the only thing that changes in comparison to last year's ALE standings that the Jays and the Rays sort of flip. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think if I were a betting man that the, the standings would be exactly the same in terms of placement as they were last year. But um, I, I think there are a lot of things that are interesting regarding this club this year. Um, you mentioned Devin Travis. I, I think he's an interesting little piece right now. And it doesn't, uh, it wouldn't shock me rather if he's getting a lot of these top of the order uh, ABs with the team to sort of shop. Right. And I, I don't think that he fits into the long term plans of the team. So I think you're going to see a lot of familiar faces continue to leave or continue to be traded from the team. 
And uh, you're really starting to see Atkins and Shapiro put their fingerprints on this team and make it their own. Yeah, I, I, I haven't checked my tally at last look, but I think we're down to either six or seven play, or players left from the 2015 and 2016 playoff rosters. I think there's only seven Seven guys left, maybe. I'd have to go back Let's and check, see. but you can do it right now. So it's it's Travis yeah. is one of them. Yep. Smoke, Tapera, Barnes. Uh I'm forgetting so got, a bunch here. But yeah. yeah. I think Pilar, Stroman, Sanchez. I think that might be it. E I'm I'm looking at the like in my mind's eye of around the diamond. Yeah, that is that is. Wow. So, and, and I mean, <laughs> just by attrition, I think there's, you know, two or three more guys are off that roster this year. And then, you know, you start the season fresh next year and it's a completely different ball team, probably, because ideally you've got Vlad driving the bus. Maybe you inject Bichette next year. You have Biggio, possibly. Um, the pitching staff probably looks completely different oh, yeah. in 2020. Um, the bullpen is, you know, interchangeable from year to year, but yeah, the starting, I think this, especially the starting lineup is going to be very vastly different next year too. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I think, what do you, what do you think? So uh, Jenny Jansen, Talez, Guriel, Bichette, Vlad, uh, Alfred, maybe great Chuck. If he's still here and Teoscar. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. It's, um, who all like who else are we forgetting here? Um, yeah, maybe Bichette. Yeah, Bichette, Guerrero, um, Kevin Smith. I don't Smith, know. yeah. It's they've got they finally have the depth that it's not just you're we're pinning all our hopes on Vlad because as we know, one player does not make a gigantic difference on a ball team. You need you know three or four franchise guys. You need to basically be the Boston Red Sox model. Like, yes, they've traded. They traded for a bunch of guys. They traded for sale and Kimbrell and they bought free agents uh, like price, but they had the core, they developed their core of position players. And that's what helped them, you know, win a world series because they drafted someone like Mookie Betts and developed him. So you can't do what the Jays did in 15 and 16 and not be sustainable. You can't just trade for MVP caliber players like Donaldson and you can't just, you know, sign everybody. You eventually have to draft and develop. And that's, that's what they're doing. Like we, we can see what's happening. We, we know the development path and if the Blue Jays pick up a few more wins this year and then maybe a few more next year, it'll maybe kind of coincide with what the Blue Jays did in like the late seventies, early eighties, where, you know, they were an expansion team, but then they slowly started to build their win totals to the point where they draft and develop so many great players like, you know, Fernandez, uh, Barfield, uh, they got bell in the rule five and, you know, the pitching staff finally filled in and then they were, then they won the AL East in 85. So this is like, this is going to be a building year, but it should be, a very interesting season to watch. It'll be entertaining, Marcus Stroman included. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, there's some antics throughout the season from him, and you know, if the trade deadline comes and he's gone, the blogosphere is just going to go crazy. So, if nothing else, let's just hope that he keeps going. But all right, Ian, it's been really fun chatting with you about the Blue Jays. I'm glad you can uh, 
join me on the 100th episode of the South Six Podcast. Um, so this is your time to shine. Let people know where they can find you on Twitter, your work, everything. Go for it, man. Floor is yours. Sweet. Well, um, so you can find me on Twitter at Blue Jay Hunter. I'm a lead, lead baseball writer for Daily Hive uh, Toronto, and which is also has sites in vancouver calgary montreal but it's you know same thing across the country and then i'm also writing for uh blue jays nation as well which is all blue jay centric and then i'm writing the odd article for my own site but that's kind of on the back burner at the moment so those are all the places where you can find me this year perfect all right man well uh, it was good chatting with you and i'm sure we'll talk throughout the season and uh go blue jays man thanks for hopping on thank you very much for having me it was good to talk to you Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors. Raptors.